thought, normally we just have you pick a number, so it's kind of fair because we can't answer all of them. So you guys, we just do the Acts chapter one thing. But um, for the children, we thought we're going to make sure we answer that, and then we're going to let the children leave for junior yes. church here momentarily. Right, Pastor Danny? Yes. All right. So uh, how is this going to work? Yes. Yes? <laughs> yes. So it's essentially we have 10 total questions. One of them is going to be answered move this before uh, we release for junior church. But after that, we did have to take Thanks. one out. Russ, it was your question, wherever Russ is, because we just don't like, no, I'm just kidding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to get someone that's very knowledgeable on the question of Islam. And unfortunately, Matt is not feeling well today, and so he couldn't be here. Not this Matt, but the other Matt that we have, Matt number two, I guess. I don't know. That's what we used to do. So we want to save that for the next one because he sent me his reply and <laughs> you want to hear it from him. Yeah. Trust me. And so we, we pulled that one out. So essentially we have questions two through ten minus number seven because that was Russ's. So what's going to happen is when we release for junior church and we're back to the normal, uh, we'll just ask somebody to pick out a number, two through ten, not seven, and then that's the number question we will ask and then bounce around, if you will. Somebody's going to take the lead on the question, and then they'll have the most of the time to answer it. And then we might, if we have thoughts, I don't have many good thoughts. Pastor Cody has more than me, so he might share some thoughts and, uh, and bounce that You're around. And we'll go to another number. So really, it's sort of be like casting lots, but not really because we really. have lots. So <laughs> any questions? Clear as mud? Clear as mud. So we do have the questions up here. Oh, you and do. So Caleb has them. And so the very first question, would you like to read it? Sure. Um, do I say who it came from? That's up to you. That's up to me. Well, so this is from Laura Lynn, and uh, she asks a, a, a great question. Kids sometimes ask the, the but let me do this. Before we start, let, let's have a word of prayer, right? Yes. I want to pray, and uh, we'll, we'll pray together, answer this question, and let the kids go. Uh, Lord, thank you for this time this morning. It's been good to sing and be reminded that you love us. And uh, Lord, it's um, also good to sing and be reminded how how great you are, and I'm so thankful for salvation. Lord, I pray today as we um, edify one another through your word, may uh, the different answers that are given, the different things we discuss, Lord, I pray it be effective in helping someone here encourage them or answer something they've, they've been wondering about. Uh, but Lord, we're just thankful to be here together today. So bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. So question number one, um, this one, Pastor Cody gets to take the lead on, and I don't, I didn't bring my little timer up here, but I guess Yes, it's ten twenty. So he's got you got a cup. It's three minutes. What is that a good? Is that a good time frame? Oh, mark the timer. No, you got it. All right, you got a phone. All right. Uh, this is what Laurelyn asked. She she said, "Can you be sad in heaven if you know a loved one is in hell? Or and do you grow up in heaven? Isn't it good? Yeah, that's when we handed it to Pastor Cody. <laughs> I ain't taking that. He goes, I ain't taking that. And it looks like hey, way to go, Pastor Cody. You're taking that. Um, exactly. Um, what, what you got to think, Pastor Cody? Yeah, so um, as I was working on the answer to this, one of the, the verses that we often think of when we think of being sad in heaven and, and tears is Revelation 21, verse 4, where the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Um, but this is in reference to the new heaven and new earth, um, and there is a time when believers will be in heaven before the new heaven. Um, not saying that this doesn't apply to the current heaven, um, but that verse is specifically to the new heaven and new earth. But when we get to heaven and we think about those that we loved that are in hell, um, or I mean, maybe 
if we go before the rapture, maybe we're thinking of people that we knew were unbelievers that are on their way to hell but aren't in hell currently. And, you know, when we're in heaven, we, now my answer, we might not perfectly understand right now because of my answer, but when we get to heaven, we're going to have a different thought process. We're going to have a different perspective. We're not going to look at it necessarily as just as this person is dying and going to hell, but we'll understand God's perspective on things. We'll understand what God thinks of sin and, and the destructiveness of sin and uh, the reason that he, I mean, sin caused the fall and death and separation from God and that God cannot allow sin into heaven um, because the, the worst punishment of hell... I believe is not the flames, not the, any of the other punishments other than being separated from God for eternity. And our perspective of justice will change when we're in heaven. We'll understand, okay, this was what was expected and this is what we did. Therefore, you know, we deserved that punishment. And right now we might not have that perfect understanding. We might not have that perspective but when we're in heaven with our glorified bodies, our glorified minds, we'll have that perspective. We'll have that understanding. And even our, our perspective of God will change. And in Revelation uh, 19, we see that the believers are cheering in heaven for the judgment on the beast. Um, and so, you know, in verses 1 through 3, the, the believers are cheering because of the judgment that God is pouring out on the unbelievers and the beast and the Antichrist. And, you know, we might not understand that now, but when we're with God, it'll make a lot more sense why that punishment has to come. And we have to understand God doesn't send people to hell. God does not choose, I'm sending this person to hell because they did this. No, sin and unbelief is what sends people to hell. The fact that they don't believe in Jesus Christ and what he did, that's what sends people to hell. And uh, First Timothy talks about it's God's will that all would be saved. That's your dinger. That was my time. Um, so it's not God's will for people to go to hell. And so it's a perspective thing is my answer. Okay. Where's, where's Laura Lynch over there? Hey, girl. Um, uh, I, I would tell you if if, the, if Jesus takes you to heaven and you're a, a, a little child, um, if, you know, if you're your age or whatever, a lot of times there's a lot of fear in, in, like all of us, we're all afraid to cross over that river. But all I can tell you, Lord, is that Jesus will take care of you and give you the very best that you could really ever imagine. And I personally, there's people disagree because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, you know, if someone if, if a young person goes to heaven if what exactly happens, but um, I'd be one to think that you do grow in maturity because even those of us who are old are not really that old. <laughs> you're 100, you know, you're 98 like Brother Don, you know, yeah. in the span of even the, our the Earth's existence is really is, so we are going to continue to grow as well. Um, in terms of our knowledge and all that. Um, so, you know, I, I find a lot of times children are, you know, it's, it's scary. You just know that Jesus loves you very much and he's going to take the very best care of you. Definitely. Um, so 
Pastor Dan, you have anything to add on that? I mean, I would take the easy one as far as do you grow up in the heaven and just answer <laughs> answer the question. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I have the same question cop as out, you. Cop out. But like, like Pastor Ken was saying, if you pass away at like 98, like Brother Don was, I don't believe Brother Don will walk around in heaven with his 98-year-old uh, body and physique. So in that sense, maybe he would uh, uh, de-age, you know, maybe get younger. <laughs> A lot of people speculate that it's possibly your prime that we would be like in heaven, maybe maybe like 25 years old or so. But to go back to the first question as far as being sad, if our loved ones aren't there, I do believe like Pastor Cody had mentioned that there's a perspective to it, that right now we don't really understand what heaven's going to be like or even the sense of awe and love that just being in Jesus' presence is going to do to us. And I know that we briefly talked about it the other day. I do believe when we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be so amazed. We're going to be so filled with love. We're going to feel Jesus's love radiate from him to us in a way we've never felt before. We're just going to be so happy to be with him. You know, in the worry, the concern of what about loved ones that may not be there, that should give us the motivation to tell our loved ones, hey, I want you to experience the same love that Jesus offers, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what I would encourage you with. But I have the same questions as well. And so those are amazing questions, Laurelyn. They are. They're they're, they're really good. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I'm one guy that would say that in where we are, where heaven is now, the intermediate heaven, that according to Revelation, we know that they're looking at what's going on on the earth and there's tears. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I would deduct from that that Laurelyn, right now, I think if someone goes to heaven for where we are right now, yes, um, I do think people will be, I think we'll be sad for someone that we know, you know, is in hell. And I guess I would ask, is, are we sad right now? Mm. Is there anybody you know that died without Christ that you know they did? Are you sad about it? Well, if you're not now, I don't know why you will be then. Um, But uh, I know I am. I know there's a time or two where I didn't tell someone like I knew God wanted me to. And I I committed a suicide that, oh, they got lots of time. Maybe not. So, uh, but the Bible does say, Lord, there is coming a day, as Pastor Cody mentioned, at the new earth that, Mm-hmm. There will be no more tears, and God will wipe them away. So that does come. But for right now, yeah, I think, think it is. Yep. Um, so I don't know. Part of me says because when you were answering yours, that's really a lot of overture of my question from, from uh, Holly. Uh, yep. If we can stay on the theme. Can you tell me? Can you read that one? I don't want to move. Keep the kids in here? Yeah. Let, let's yep. stay for heaven. Okay. All right, we're just going to stay so, it since we're on the same topic. Since we're on the topic, I think kids Caleb, like we're going to be back on question number two. Yeah, we're the, question number two was given by Holly, and then I believe you know maybe kids after that. Yeah, uh, it was a two-part question again. Uh, the first question was because it does have to tie into heaven in a sense. What exactly is Abraham's bosom? And then the second question is, according to First Thessalonians chapter four verse seventeen, if the dead in Christ rise at the rapture, does that mean when we die we don't go to heaven and see Jesus face to face until the rapture? Yeah. And so your three minutes begins. 
No. Okay. Abraham's bosom, I, I won't take a lot of that's In my view, that'd be, the Bible refers to it as paradise or in the Hebrew, Sheol, which is a, a, a place where some people say, Jesus went to hell when he, no, technically, I guess you could say, because, but he went to Abraham's bosom paradise side because uh, there's two compartments and some people feel it was located in the center of earth. Others do not. I, I, I'll have Pastor Danny answer on that. This is Pastor Danny's answer. I don't know. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, but uh, so that's what, what that is. Most people believe that when Jesus died and he went and emptied out Sheol and took everybody into the presence of God, which brings us to the next part of your, mm. your question. And this may be with, with Laurel and uh, the kids might want to know, you know, if, if I die, what happens to me? Because we go to a funeral and we see, we see somebody in a casket and we see them put in the ground and their body remains there. We, that's right. as far as I know, that's what happens. They, they, stay, they stay there. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, one of the things, and I, for the adults here and teenagers, um, for me, Several years ago, I read a book by Randy Elkhorn that he wrote on the topic of heaven that while I may not have agreed theologically with everything he presented, it radically changed my, my focus. And he used an illustration about heaven that, it, that I think is really relevant. Um, say, matter of fact, uh, say you're going you're gonna to fly to, you want to go see the beautiful Rocky Mountains, you're going to fly to Denver. Um, and to get to Denver from Montgomery, you have to go the wrong direction first, and you have to fly to Atlanta. Mm. And once you're in Atlanta, you unfortunately have a nine-hour layover there mm. in the wonderful Atlanta airport. And then after the nine-hour layover, then you end up over there in Colorado. Well, um, the Bible's clear that where all believers are ultimately heading is a physical resurrection. The body you and I have right now putting back together molecularly. Most, some people think, you know, I think glorified is going to even be better than the original, but basically a physical body because Jesus came out of the grave to not only redeem our soul and spirit, but also our body. In other words, he wants to give you and me a perfect one. And he's going to keep that promise. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, when we die, we go to heaven, our soul and spirit go to heaven. And according to second Corinthians chapter five and verse number one, we are given a body not made with hands is how Paul describes it. Now, some people think you get a temporary physical body in heaven. I'm not a fan of that solution because then I wonder what happens when <laughs> what happens to the temporary body. I think you get a spirit body right now. If you were to die right now, your body stays here. Your soul and spirit's with the Lord, and you get a, a spirit representation of who you are um, until the coming of Christ and the, the, the back in the clouds and he sounds a trumpet, then boom, we're changed and our physical body comes out of that grave and our soul and spirit are back reunited with this body. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be an amazing thing in a moment, mm -hmm. right? In a moment. In, in a moment. So, uh, but I think a lot of times what we do as Christians is we put all of our focus right now on going and staying at the Atlanta airport. <laughs> that's where our focus is. Now, the Atlanta airport might be really nice. It has some great restaurants, but that is not the ultimate destination. Nope. And one of the greatest things Satan has done to the church and to the believer is to get us to downgrade the value of heaven. Mm -hmm. To downgrade where we're going, which ultimately is the new heaven and the new earth. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that living on the new earth is going to be a lot more like what we do now except perfect. Imagine everything just perfect here in this life. <laughs> just imagine it. Wouldn't it be awesome? 
that you know that that, that Andrew will never irritate me again. Um, <laughs> Brock will be nice to everybody. It's the perfect place. But it's going to be, heaven is going to be awesome. And Satan gets us to believe a lie that it won't be. So, thoughts? Go ahead, Pastor Cody. How I've always understood uh, Abraham's bosom is it was a holding place because the sacrifice was not yet made. And so then when Jesus uh, went into the grave, he went down took those up to heaven because the sacrifice was made and so they could enter into heaven. Um, that's how I always understood it. Current Ephesians? Yep. I just wanted to say, the reason why I say I don't know is because I learned that from one of my mentors, Brock, because he, he would tell me, I don't know, look it up. And so he's really <laughs> challenged he's, me to look it up. That's just because he's lazy. So. That's not because he doesn't know. <laughs> I love you, Brock. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we love you, Brock. <laughs> yes, sir. I know I'm not part of this, but if I could, uh, I'm a retired operating nurse, and I've had several people who have near-death experiences. Yes. <laughs> That's always a good... There's a great book out there by John Burke called Imagine Heaven. Yeah. He was I have. non-Christian and authentic. Yeah. But it, it gives yeah. a, a lot of good insight as yeah. That's a whole other uh, issue is near-death experiences and the validity of all that. And I tell you, you got to be careful. You know, I know that movie that came out years ago, Heaven, Heaven what's it called? It for Heaven real. For yeah. Real. Yeah. It, it had a lot of theological issues on it. it, it had a, a lot video of video on C4C about near-death experiences. It was a viewer-submitted question, and so we did actually yeah. research that, study that, and yeah. look at some studies. That However, was interesting. as somebody who's been alongside a lot of people mm-hmm. that have taken their last breath, it's part of what I do. I'm telling you, if you think that this life is all there is, you're a fool. Right. That's all, that's all I, I can tell you that, even just, dare I say, experientially. All right, uh, young people, we're going to let them head out to junior church at this time with Ms. Connie, and uh, we're going to take about another 30, 30 minutes or so and answer a couple more questions. And uh, Holly, what would you think about that? Oh, is that fine? You know, all good? Um, so, yes, I think you will see Jesus face-to-face. Um, so while the kids are going out, uh, somebody yell out three through ten. What number? Seven. Seven. Be seven. Side seven. Uh, uh, Matt, if you're watching this, you should have been here. Everybody wants your question. Yes. Besides seven. Matt Mace. Five. 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 All right. oh, of course, you would pick mine. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Who picked out five? Question your number wife. five. This was Thanks, submitted. <laughs> This was submitted by our missionary, Jim Morgan. Oh, boy. And I don't even need to set my timer for this. Jim Morgan asks, what remains on God's timeline before we are raptured from the earth? Boy, we're talking about end times in heaven, right? Nothing. Uh, Nothing. You and your I don't know nothing. (laughs) Reason why I say that, a lot of times people will put the focus. Has a master's degree. Which doesn't Nothing. really mean anything today. You could buy doctorates online. You could get ordained online. But, no, let me elaborate. So, whenever you look talking about the rapture, you have the views of the pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, mid-trib, you know, all these other views. I'm a pre-trib guy because I believe clearly that scripture does talk about that there is nothing needing to be done before Jesus Christ comes and raptures the church. 
what a lot of people fail to realize is they believe that the rapture is signified by this peace treaty, if you will, with Israel or this breaking of a covenant with the Antichrist in Israel, and that's wrong. Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 reveals that the seven year, the 70th week of Daniel has to do with thy people and thy city, specifically talking about the Jewish people in Jerusalem. So the seven year tribulation period has solely to do with Israel and the Jewish people. That's it. Now we are told by Jesus and many other writers in the New Testament that we must be always ready and watchful for we don't know when the Lord comes. Now, if we know that the peace treaty has to happen and that all these things have to take place in a seven-year tribulation period before Jesus Christ's second coming, then it wouldn't make sense for Jesus Christ to say, be ready because you don't know what hour. So he's got to be talking about something else. There's a lot of other passages that reveal the fact that the rapture is very imminent. When we speak of the word imminent, it doesn't mean that it can happen necessarily uh, at any moment, which, yes, that, that could be it. People are saying, oh, the church believed that the return of Christ could have happened in their time. Yes, they did. And now it's 2,000 years later. Yes, it is. Because we have a bad view of the word imminency. Imminency just simply meant then that there are no signs needing to be accomplished prior to the rapture doesn't necessarily have to do with a timeline per se. It's an event, an event aspect. And because of the fact the rapture can take place at any moment, that means that the rapture could happen, we go to heaven. But even then, the rapture does not start the seven-year tribulation period. Because we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, where the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty with Israel. And then halfway through the peace treaty, he's going to set up the abomination of desolation. And so that reveals the fact that the rapture could happen a day before, but could happen a hundred days before. People ask about the question of the, fourth, the third temple. The temple has to be built. We could see the Jewish temple being built in Israel before the rapture. We do know the seven-year tribulation period, the temple has to be in operation. It has to be because scripture records it. So we might see the temple being built before the rapture, but we don't have to wait for that for the rapture to occur, if that makes sense. And so in essence, what's left on the timeline? Nothing, according to the Bible. You didn't even set your alarm. That was good. Uh, Pastor Cody, anything you got for that? Yeah, let me play devil's advocate for a little good. bit. Good. Oh, I like this. Okay. It's like, <laughs> we'll be like staff meeting. Let's argue. Because Romans 11.25 talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't the fullness of the Gentiles have to come in before Jesus comes back? Isn't that what's what he's waiting for. Now, is that talking about the rapture or is that talking about the second coming? This is, so in this reference, it's talking about mm-hmm. uh, the blindness of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so the blindness of Israel is until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So is that talking about the rapture or the second coming? I don't know. It's <laughs> Romans 11. <laughs> Brock answer. So it's probably the second coming. Probably the... It might be. Until the covenant. Right. So... I mean, that's a good discussion. Romans I'm 9 staying out 11, of this one. <laughs> Romans 9 through 11 does deal a lot with Israel, and that's, its sole focus is on Israel and the Jewish yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Now, some people do argue that the fullness, the, the fullness of the Gentiles is the fact that when the last Gentile is saved, then Christ is coming back. I don't believe that's the case because when you look at Daniel 9 and other passages, it has nothing to do with Gentiles as far as the return of Christ. It has everything to do with the Jewish people acknowledging Messiah, Jesus as Messiah. Now, other people will say the fullness of the Gentiles is when the rapture has to happen. 
Well, that could be, but then again, what about the Gentiles that are saved during the tribulation period? Because we do know that there are people still being saved during the tribulation period. And some of those are going to be Gentiles. And so how do they define fullness of the Gentiles? I think you have to look at that when it's a, it's a greater context of the Jewish people in the tribulation period. And uh, it would be more interesting, good study. But I would argue that because even still, Jesus does say that we don't know. Peter says, you know, that that we may be found without spot and blameless at the coming of the Lord. Talk about the rapture at that point, I would argue, because if we knew when the second coming was going to be, seven years, you know, three and a half years after the peace treaty, then, hey, I know, three and a half years from now, Jesus Christ is coming back. So I'm going to live in yeah. debauchery and hedonism for a while until Jesus Christ comes back. Then he's going to find me and spotless and blameless because well. I lived a month, you know. But, well, that's a good question. But Jim, if I, if I would give you my piece of advice, if I, you want a resource on that, I think that the, the information that's been most helpful to me uh, is uh, Dr. Frutenbaum's book, The Footsteps of the Messiah. And he goes over, I think it's 10 different things that he signs before the coming uh, that are, don't have to, you know, because I think one of the things that, as Pastor Danny mentioned, that was, you know, to me was like, wow, I didn't really consider that. That we could see some things happen. That the rapture doesn't, the temple could be up and running. That, that, is, that is very possible. And he mentions one that intrigues me, for me personally. People say, oh, how do you know if the Lord's coming back? And, and this is just my personal, what I look at. If you want to look at Israel, what's happening with the people of Israel. And Dr. Frutenbaum mentions, according to Ezekiel, I think it's 36 and 37, when Gog and Magog, you know, Moscow comes south against Israel and takes a licking at the hands of the Jewish people. Um, Dr. Frutenbaum points out that that has to occur prior to the rapture because of the timing, because it says it's going to take them seven years to clean up all the mess. And so he, he, he lays out this timetable that, that, that certainly makes sense. And so I always keep my eyes on, you know, Who's messing with Israel? And the more you see that happening, you know, the more you better behave. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that and the Feast of Trumpets. <laughs> Those are the two times. Yeah, like, like, you know, yeah. in September. Be good in September and watch out what's happening to the Jewish people. <laughs> um, and that'd be my cliff notes. All right. What are we at now? Uh, another number. Ten. Ten. Ah, Pastor Ken. Oh. <laughs> this one came from Butch. Oh, oh, this one. This one. Now, this one. <laughs> oh, I said, I want to get in uh, trouble on this one. Thank you, Lincoln. <laughs> Number 10. Uh, thank you, Lincoln. If a spouse goes missing for years, presumed to be deceased, and the living spouse remarries, what happens if the first spouse is still alive? Do they remain married and divorce the new spouse? Are they still married in God's eyes? I would think Butch, but I think Lincoln. Where's Butch? Is I he don't in here? I see him. Butch, are, are you here? He ain't here. I don't have to All answer. Right. <laughs> you jump on that for me, Will? Um, that's what we call asking a question of absurdity. Um, I'm like, all right, show me when that happens. Uh, but the short version, I did think about it, and the short version would be, I went back and forth on this, but the short version would be, if the first husband was legally declared dead by the state, that, uh, no, that finishes the marriage. So that marriage is now, 
even though they, they actually were alive, was done. So the second marriage would be the marriage that would stand. But I would, I would fully say that my best advice would be when those three people get together, they need counseling. Um, <laughs> That's all I'm going and, to say about that. And if you know somebody, Butch, of that situation here to my right or to my left, they'll be glad to help you. I, I'm, 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 I'm sure. So you guys got something to add to that? To I didn't that. think so. Uh, you know, no? Yeah, we met our time limit on that one. Yeah, we did. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's move along. Moving along. Next number. Three, four, six, eight, nine. Ooh, there's a battle. Heart was, muscle. What, what number? It's eight and six. Six. Oh, that's me. <laughs> Way to go, Shane. Oh, yay. So this was submitted by Joe Nolan, who's not here again. Oh, <laughs> I don't think we have to answer questions to people that don't come. What do you think? Sick. He's not sick. Does Marty Sorry, Graw, Joe. I believe you. Does Mardi Gras have Christian origins, and should Christians partake in Mardi Gras? No. Ooh. No. Ooh. <laughs> Ah, this was a good Glad one. you got that one. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Why do I always get to <laughs> But study? you're the apologetics guy, so apologize. Easter and Christ- Christmas and everything else. Mardi Gras. What is Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras is French for Fat Tuesday. It's French for the words Fat Tuesday. Now, what is Fat Tuesday? Fat Tuesday is simply the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. And so Ash Wednesday begins the 40-day of Lent period in which people give up certain things depending on their denomination and so Fat Tuesday, according to at least the Catholic Church's mind and certain denominations, is a time to consume, if you will, all the fatty foods of sorts. Basically, with the Catholic Church and certain denominations, during the 40 days of Lent, they're not allowed to eat certain meats, only fish, really. And so they eat up a lot of fatty foods. And that's one of the reasons why they call it Fat Tuesday. And so they sort of overindulge or, if you will, consume everything, sort of like the Jewish people getting rid of all the leaven in their house before a feast of unleavened bread, things like that. And so they, they really get rid of all that. And then they start their 40 days of Lent. Now, does it have pa- pagan organ- origins? Now, there's a debate to be had there, just like when people try to say Easter comes from, you know, a pagan root word of a fertility goddess, harvest goddess, whatever the case is. There's no clear evidence that it does come from pagan origins or pagan roots. What's believed is that it comes from the Roman time period during a festival of Saturnalia and a couple other festivals where they lived festival in... Festival of what? Saturnalia. Saturnalia is uh, in worship to one of their gods, Saturn. And it was a festival they had of just uh, revelry, debauchery, hedonism, and, and things of that nature. And so some people argue that the Christian church early then, because it was a prevalent festival, they just sort of assimilated that into their uh, the Christian religion and sort of changed it a little bit to go ahead and give it its connotation today. Now, there's no clear evidence that that truly is the case, but when people ask Mardi Gras, a lot of times they're asking the question, Mardi Gras, as we know of it today here in America, with New Orleans and things like that, with the uh, masquerade masks and, and coins and, and all that other stuff. Uh, that apparently came back through the middle ev- medieval period, and Mar- New Orleans wasn't really the biggest city for it. There was another city before that. I forget what it was. But that's also known as Carnival, Carnival, if you will, and it's held with many other countries around the globe. Uh, that being the case, it has never, it, it did not begin, from what I've read, 
with the origins of where it is now as far as the hedonistic and, and the beads and just the debauchery and all this other nonsense that's going on in New Orleans. So depending on how you define Mardi Gras, apologetic answer, uh, really depends on what answer you're going to get. Does it have pagan roots? What Mardi Gras? Are you talking about that one or are you talking about the one in America? The bigger question is, should we celebrate as Christians Mardi Gras? Well, if you take the pagan organ origins roots and you take the debauchery we see in New Orleans, no, I, I don't believe that any Christian should have. If you see what the secular view of Mardi Gras is with the beads and the women and, and the immorality and things like that, of course not. Now, if you look at Mardi Gras in the sense of Fat Tuesday and being, you know, going into Lent and trying to shed some things and having a period of reflection on your relationship with Christ, I would say that's more that Christian liberty aspect that you have a choice. Paul does say in the New Testament that uh, every day is a day is given unto the Lord. And so it's not that one day is more, uh, if you will, to be revered than the other in that sense that we have that liberty. Paul also said, as far as meat sacrifice to idols in the marketplace, that we know the meat is nothing. That being the case, just because we have the liberty doesn't necessarily mean we should or should still do it. Because Paul also says, if I eat this meat that's sacrificed to the idol and my Christian brother or sister over here is going to offend them, I probably should not do it because I don't want to cause my brother or sister to stumble. And so that would be the other answer is multifaceted. And the only other thing I will say is, if you celebrate Mardi Gras, how does God get the glory? People will ask me time and time again, what do I do in these gray areas, gray areas of life? The only question I think, you, well, two questions. Number one, what does the Bible have to say? Number two, how does God get the glory? If the Bible is somewhat silent on it, can you honestly say God gets the glory by me doing this? If God does not get glory, then you shouldn't do it because that's what we're called to do. So, Pastor Cody, do you think you want to add to that? I mean, if we look at the, the verse about moderation as well, even if we were going back to the roots of Fat Tuesday and eating all this fatty food and, and indulging in all this stuff, I mean, it doesn't seem like if they're about to go 40 days without all this stuff, I know Americans, yeah. there would be no moderation. We would be chowing down on all this stuff. Yeah. So even if we went back to the, the non-current roots and went and looked at that, I mean, it still doesn't biblically right. fulfill the role that yeah. that they thought it did at that time. It's hard to answer some of these in three minutes. <laughs> yes. It really is. Um, I, I guess I, I would, uh, you know, as a Christian, you know, as a Christian, should they be in the middle of a, a bunch of celebrating of nakedness and drunkenness? I, I just... If, if a Christian, if you feel good in that environment or feel okay in it, I, I just question not your salvation, but I question your, 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 the depth of your walk with God because yeah. it's, it's not, you can talk about the, what it means and all the history of it and all that, but I would just deal with the issues. That being said, we live in this world, and as many of you know, I as a church and as a pastor, I want to preach to you the principles of God's word but I'm not interested in telling you everything you can and can't do because I think that's something you and the Holy Spirit need to do. Too many independent Baptists and others get into, you know, we stand up here and tell you don't do this and do this. There's a lot of areas in life that, um, that 
are not as crystal clear, and I think the believer needs to have an individual right to, like you said, uh, liberty. And there's uh, people say, well, if it if it does that and it offends somebody, well, you know, if you take that too too far. You, you might as well go, I guess you got to stay in your house all day because I know people, if you mow your lawn in, in blue pants, it offends them because Mormons wear blue, therefore you're mowing your lawn like a Mormon. Um, you know, I, I refuse to live in bondage to, you know, somebody else's, somebody else's areas of their, where God tells them no. And just because God told you no in something doesn't necessarily mean that it's for everybody else. So um, why judge another man's servant is what Romans chapter 10 says. You know, you take care of you and you're right to have a feeling about it and you should have a feeling about it. And sometimes the Lord asks you to share it, someone maybe share it with them. But sometimes it gets, you know, it, it, it it gets crazy. But I would say from what I know from New Orleans and that and those kind of environments, I, I would say Philippians 4, 8, you know, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of true, and are good report, think on those things. And the, their New Orleans during Mardi Gras is none of those things. But if you wanted to go down and pick up a beignet, hey. Um, <laughs> Nobody knows what that is, apparently. So, um, Alyssa does. And, and, uh, no, we're not going to open this one up. Um, all right. Next, next one. Next one. Three, four, eight, or nine. Eight. Four. Eight. <laughs> Let's not do eight. That's me. Again. <laughs> I'm only receiving the ones I'm told to take. Is that how that goes? So this, what number? This, this election's rigged. Yes. <laughs> Three, four, eight, or nine. Eight. Eight. I heard eight. I heard, I heard eight. I heard four. Eight. What did you hear first? Eight has to do well, with Eight Easter. was given at the same time as six, and then I heard it first again. Well, six is over. Well, okay. I know. That's, so All right, eight. so that has eight. to do with Easter. You want to take it? You, well, we want to do it. Uh, well, you picked the... You, tell you what. <sighs> you I did too. I heard a three over there. Let's do so, three. So basically, you pick one. You're three. You're, you're the moderator. You're doing a, like this. Is our last question for the day. So you 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 pick the last one. Three. This is from Oscar. This is a good one. Oh no! This is <laughs> <laughs> only Oscar. <sighs> Romans five twelve says sin came by Adam. But Genesis 3, 6 seems to reveal it was Eve who committed the first sin. And 1 Timothy 2, 14 says it was the woman in the transgression. Did sin enter by man or woman? Is there a contradiction? This one's assigned to Pastor Ken. You want me to set your three minutes I or think, 12 I minutes think or three, hour? Set that thing so when it goes off, I can stop. Um. Time has begun. That's the woman's fault. Um, <laughs> that didn't take long. I'm going to move. Say, uh, yeah. Jen? I, I just can't take First Timothy chapter 2 out of the Bible. I just can't take it. It says that Adam wasn't deceived and the woman was in the fault. Um, however, mm. there's nowhere really in the Bible that you find that the woman is blamed. Mm. Very interesting. Instead, as Oscar's pointed out, with that engineering mind that Adam is held accountable because Adam was first formed. Adam had the authority. So with more authority comes more responsibility. So God didn't come looking for Eve and say, why did you do this? He came looking for Adam. And Eve was deceived. She was legitimately fooled. Adam knew full well what he was doing. 
So who created the bigger sin? So, and then you put together that Adam and Eve, as humanity, are one, are mankind. Um, ultimately, they're both guilty, but Adam bears the, the, the full responsibility. And this is why uh, I believe that men need to be the spiritual leaders at their home. And um, men want to be in charge, but don't want responsibility. Why don't you take it? Yep. That, that, that as well. Um, but I... Thanks, Oscar, for that. It was a wonderful question. Uh, but Adam should have been doing his, his job, and he, he, he failed in that, and he chose, he chose sin. So, uh, But anything you guys want to add to that? Do you wanna, I got something, but I'll give you time first. I just have a joke, but I don't know. Oh, you want to? <laughs> <laughs> We're for that. I, I, for I that. don't this know many side, men that if their, women, or their wife was standing there with an apple would turn it down. Da- or not, we don't know. We don't an know it was an apple. Turn it down. <laughs> Ken Ham says it was a grenade. Because um, <laughs> um, yeah. that was before you know, coverings. So. One, one uh, I, I was at Spurgeon. Somebody said, you know, the woman, don't, don't blame the woman because in Timothy it also says that she's going to be saved in childbearing. There's a lot of discussion of what that one of the most argued passages in the scriptures. But I tend to lean towards the thing that, that Eve was deceived, but it, so people want to say, oh, it's the woman, it's the woman. But without the woman, there's no Messiah. Mm-hmm. Messiah came through the seed of the woman. Amen. And so we're very thankful for the women. We, yes. Mother's Day, moms, right? Okay. Hi. Yeah, I, I love my mom. Hi, mom. I love you. Thank you for all, all the other ones. Along those lines, Daniel chapter 11, this is free as you say. Uh, I wasn't in notes. But uh, Daniel chapter 11, there's a talk, discussion about the Antichrist and when he comes, what some characteristics he'll have. And uh, he does talk about he won't regard, you know, the God of his fathers and stuff like that. And then there's a reference that nor the desire of women. And so when I started studying this, Brock could explain this probably more than me and correct me if I'm wrong, but <laughs> to a Jewish mindset, the desire of a woman in that day was to be the mother, mother of Messiah. And so that was an interesting take as far as what you're saying, as far as the, the, just the loveliness and the necessity of women. But what I want to say as far as Oscar's concerned is, let's see what the Bible has to say. Genesis chapter 3. Verse number 11. And he, God, said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And so in Romans sort of parallels with Genesis 3.11 that the first commandment given was to Adam not to eat of that tree. So what did the man say? What did Adam say? Huh, it's the woman you gave me. (laughs) And that still goes along today. (laughs) But I do want to talk about this transgression because a lot of times we're going to look at, okay, 2 Timothy, uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. See, it was a woman. But what does it say? It says in verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman Eve being deceived wasn't a transgression. You see, to me, there's a difference there because Adam volitionally ate of that fruit. He knew God had commanded Adam. We're not told that God commanded Eve. It's probable that Adam passed it on to Eve as the spiritual leader of the house. So Adam willingly did that, if you will, and Eve was deceived. 
And part of the reason why I would argue that there should not be any woman pastors goes to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 14. It's not that women aren't valuable. That is not the case. Women are extremely valuable and loving in the eyes of God in this church and all of us. But it all goes back to creation. It all goes back to Genesis. It was, the reason is because Adam was created first, then Eve. And then Adam was not deceived, but Eve was. And so this touches on more issues than that, but yeah. I would just go back to a literal understanding of Genesis. That's why Genesis is so important. We have yeah. got to continue fighting for a literal reading of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I mean, Once Pastor Dan, it's kind of like uh, when you say that, it's like uh, Adam chose Eve over God. Mm-hmm. And men have been doing that ever since. Yes. And if you marry a man who starts out because it's all about you and how whatever it is, it, how long does that last? Uh, it's got it's going to be very problematic. I promise you. But if you find a man that values a relationship with God first, mm-hmm. then he'll be the kind of man that you want to be with. Yes. Um, and so I would highly, yes. you know. Um, that's free. That's free. What I did for love, you know, Kenny Rogers. What I did for love. Um, bring a little Kenny Rogers in here. Oh, who's that? He's at Mardi Gras. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you get so uptight, this is just not the church for you. I'm just telling you. I, I, this world, we need to laugh a little bit, and these are dangerous days we live in. All right. Um, you guys did good. Uh, I, I, I hope you enjoyed that. We got the ones that we didn't use, we'll save for the next time we do this. And on the path of all three of us, trust me, we know that we don't have all the answers here. I don't know is a really good official answer. Um, but I, we like to search things out. And we're thankful that we have some, fo- some of you folks that have some great knowledge in some areas, um, certainly. Uh, so we a thank lot of you. That knowledge is right out there. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's out there. Just knowing that there's other people than yeah. us for answers. Matt yeah. Mace, Brock, and so many other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've been really too nice to Brock. Do you have a toothache or something? I've heard he got another car. <laughs> um, you know, you've ridden in his car. All right. Um, I, I guess, what do we need to do? We need to, have, we need to, we need to take an offering. Isn't that what we need to do? Yeah, Is that the end of the We're going to have a word of prayer. I guess uh, the guys can come forward for our offering, uh, and uh, we're going to pray. And I appreciate you all being here today. I hope you find this beneficial and uh, relevant to your life and... Uh, we'll we'll do it again. So uh, all good, all good. All right, uh, Will, would you ask God's blessing? And we got. Oh, you you're you're playing, Drew. Is that what you're doing?